This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you are listening to the Next Stage Podcast. Even though the State of Israel has already had our fourth national election in the course of two years, there's another election or series of elections about to take place in this country, and those are the Palestinian Authority elections, which is actually more than one vote. And to help explain that to our listeners, I've asked my friend Noor Awad from Beit Lechem, from Bethlehem, to come on the show and help us understand these Palestinian elections that are coming up. Noor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Yehuda. So, Noor, like me, I see you as somebody who's very much rooted in his own people's national narrative, yet at the same time able to make space for the other, to be able to engage the narrative, the story, the identity of the other without really feeling your own identity threatened. So I thought that you would be a good person to have on the show to help Israelis and uh, those in the diaspora who are listening really understand what's about to take place in Palestinian society. Uh, sure. But before we even get to elections, would you like to share a little bit about yourself, your personal journey, and your own work with our listeners? So I, I live in Bethlehem, and um, I work as a tour guide. Uh, I work in tourism, especially, you know, of course, before Corona. Um, uh, now I'm not, uh, I'm not working in tourism. We are waiting uh, until this pandemic uh, ends. Um, so uh, my, what I actually do is that I am active in an initiative called Roots, uh, Shurashim Judur. And uh, Judur is a grassroots initiative uh, that brings both Israelis and Palestinians to the, to the table of uh, dialogue, but not any Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, Roots is officially breaking the, uh, the typical dialogue sessions between uh, Israeli uh, Tel Avivians, um, supporters of two-state solution, uh, with Palestinians. Uh, Roots is trying to um, make, uh, make it possible for people with, like people who are deeply um, connected to their identity, to the entire land, uh, people who might get described by the news uh, or by the peace camp as the ones who are the obstacle to peace, the most fundamental, the, um, uh, the hardcore on both sides, and uh, to actually create more than dialogue to try to find uh, the possibility for reconciliation between the two identities and the two the two narratives. Um, I joined Roots about five years ago in 2016 when I was guiding uh, one of my groups. Um, it was a, a, a geopolitical tour. Uh, that's that's what I mostly uh, do. I, I uh, guide a lot around uh, the geopolitical situation. Uh, I started in 2014 after I received my license from the uh, Ministry of Tourism uh, on the Palestinian Authority side. And uh, since then, I have been guiding uh, many tours uh, with Americans, especially for American uh, university students uh, who are coming here on different programs and different initiatives to um, understand and uh, see the situation and understand what's happening here. Sure. So that's how I found about Roots. And for the first time, I was like many of my people. When you hear about an initiative with settlers, I was very suspicious uh, of it. I wasn't sure that uh, this is something right to do. I, I, I felt that there is something not, uh, not clean, like happening, happening there. Because my perspective about the settlers as a Palestinian, uh, of course, will be very... Um, um, I will describe it like 
um, you know, we see the settlers in, in two-dimensional way, and we see them as, as a tool for the occupation. And I would even say we will see them as, as, uh, as colonialists, people who are coming from everywhere in the world, taking our, our land. That's how I, I would refer to them. And they will be the last people on the other side who are interested in making peace with us. But there are truths I found, uh, I found out that my judgment uh, was actually wrong. I found out that there are people who are uh, talking about change, people who are willing to uh, challenge um, their own society, to challenge the system. And they are actually extending their hands for peace, for real peace. And they are true partners. And that's why I joined Roots. And I'm still active in this, uh, this initiative so far. And how long have you been active with Roots? Uh, for now, five years. And in the course of your involvement, have you seen your understanding of Israeli society change? I mean, you mentioned that a lot of the Jews involved have been willing to challenge themselves and challenge their own society. Do you find that to be the same? Well, definitely. I mean, first of all, yes, my understanding of the other side, of the other side identity, of the other side story, of their connection to this land, uh, has totally changed from what I have before. I start to have a real understanding and at some point I start to connect with this story, with this identity, without, without losing my identity, without feeling that I, be I became less Palestinian. I, I feel like I became stronger in my identity in a way that I can practice it, but it will not blind me from seeing other people's uh, truth and other people's identity. And that's, that's challenging for my for myself and for my own narrative and for my own, for my my people sure i think because you know the, the way how this conflict has been going on uh is that uh people feel uh, on each side that they are the the ones who have the the, the legitimacy the truth uh, they are the victims of aggression from the other side sometimes from the the entire world and um and what we have to do uh people say on both sides we have to stand our ground we have to hold on uh connect to this to the to our land uh but that's you know that's i mean the the, um, the conflict had took the shape of uh, in my opinion uh truth versus falsehood we think that the truth only is on our side and falsehood is on the other side mm -hmm. uh so that's uh, that's how I start to learn that actually that's I started to see this and I started to realize it when I once I joined Roots. I think that's a very important point that you're making. The way I look at it, you know, this conflict has been going on between Jews and Palestinians for roughly 101 years, give or take. And uh -huh. I think that we've traditionally, as you said, tend to look at this as my side is correct, my side is telling the truth, my side is done everything right, and the other side are liars, and they're just trying to destroy us on some level. Mm -hmm. and, and the truth is, you know, when it comes to this conflict, there's really millions of facts. And I think what, what's really been going on is that both peoples tend to selectively choose from those millions of facts, the facts that make sense with our worldview, with our understanding of events. And I think that's kind of how narratives are formed. We selectively choose the facts that we like, we organize them the way they make sense to us, and we contextualize them within an ideological worldview. And I think for the most part, Israelis and Palestinians 
both tell the truth when it comes to our own stories, when it comes to our own stories, when it comes to our own identities, but we both tend to have gotten it wrong when it comes to the other. So I think when Israelis talk about Palestinians, it's completely different from how Palestinians experience yourselves. And I think when Palestinians talk about Jews, it's completely different from how we've experienced ourselves. So I think that uh, most of most of what both sides have been saying that's true has been about ourselves, and most of what most of what both sides have been saying that's not true has been about the other. And I think the the way to really overcome that is to construct a larger narrative that's inclusive enough to encompass both ostensibly rival narratives, meaning to accept what the other says about his story, about his identity, about his experiences, about his grievances, his aspirations, etc. So we can each accept what the other says about themselves and not superimpose ideologies and identities and motivations on the other just to make them the um, perfect antagonist in our own story, the perfect bad guy in our own story, which is what I think both sides have been doing until now. I completely agree with you. And uh, that's why I most of the time try to describe, in my opinion, this is, this is a form of reconciliation or this is how we can uh, achieve reconciliation between the two sides. I hope so. I hope mm-hmm. so. See, that's definitely a welcome departure from the peace industry and, and its behavior until now. Yeah. So uh, these Palestinian elections, can you help us make sense of what's going on in the Palestinian Authority with these elections? So now we are talking about uh, parliamentarian elections coming in May, on the 22nd of May. And uh, this was announced in uh, late February uh, by the president of the Palestinian Authority, Mohammed Abbas, after an, uh, after an agreement and with Hamas. Um, basically, we, have, we didn't have elections from 2006. The last elections we had was in 2006, 14 years ago, because of the political division that happened afterwards between Fatah and Hamas. And to, to tell the story in a nutshell, the, the division between the two uh, major political factions on, on, in the Palestinian street was a result for the international community not accepting the last elections results, where Hamas won the majority of the seats in the Palestinian Legislative Council and the Palestinian Parliament, uh, 75 seats, um, and they uh, were obliged to uh, form the government back in 2006. Hamas is widely considered by the international community as a, as a terrorist group, non-legitimate, um, partners, so therefore the international community put the Palestinians in the corner by not recognizing the results of a democratic process of the democratic elections, and that led to um, that led us to a crisis in the Palestinian Authority area back then, where for six months the new government that was elected um, couldn't actually uh, achieve anything. Uh, what they what they promised in their in their campaign, Hamas ran their campaign in two thousand six on the idea of they are going to fight the corruption uh, in the Palestinian Authority. They are going to reform the Palestinian Authority. Uh, they since they were established and throughout Oslo accords, the Oslo process, they uh, played the role of opposition, uh, national opposition in the Palestinian uh, in the Palestinian Authority areas. Um, so that's why in 2006, that's one of the reasons why people wanted to give them a chance. Um, but from my perspective, and I think from you know the general person perspective, the international community didn't give uh, Hamas a chance back back then. And I'm saying that because in 2006, we are talking about the Palestinian Authority that 
was in a kind of a re-establishment uh, phase after the second intifada, the second Palestinian uprising. Uh, and the Palestinian authority was depending so much on, um, on international aid. Uh, it made about 60% of the Palestinian authority annual budget uh, almost came from international uh, uh, from international money. Um, so that's uh, that's what happened. And uh, now we have the elections. Um, that's going to happen soon, finally after an agreement between Fatah and, uh, and Hamas. And these are three different elections coming up, correct? Right, you are right. It's not uh, one election. It's going to happen uh, like this. On May, we are going to have the parliamentary elections, the legislative council elections. In July, we are supposed to have the presidential elections. And in August, we are supposed to have the PLO national council elections. And one of the uh, points of disagreements between Fatah and Hamas in the, in the previous years was that the elections need to happen all at the same time. Uh, that was the point that Hamas, uh, that the condition that Hamas uh, always had, that we have to have the elections all together at the same time. Uh, while um, for technical reasons, the uh, Palestinian Authority, Fatah especially, say that it's hard to have the elections uh, at the same time. It has to go like uh, gradually or like uh, one after another. Um, so that's, uh, that's what Hamas agreed on at the beginning of this year. And that's what uh, gave the red uh, or the, the green light to start the, the, the election process. All right. Now, what would be, first of all, how many parties are actually running in these elections? And what would the distinguishing features between them be? You know, we see from an outsider's perspective, Fatah, we see Hamas. We actually see a few different versions of Fatah participating in these elections. Uh, what are the major differences between the candidates? Or the lists. So this time we have, I think, more than any other time we had elections. We have 36. Officially, we have 36 lists, 36 parties uh, in in this in this upcoming elections. And uh, one of the reasons is because we, for a long time, we had no elections, and and people were uh, waiting until this agreement finally happened, so we can go for elections and choose uh, uh, leadership uh, for the Palestinian for the Palestinian Authority. Um, if I want to talk about the difference between the major parties, so um, in my opinion, it goes like this. Uh, Fatah itself doesn't have, officially, they don't say that we have uh, different versions of Fatah. They say there is only the official list of, uh, of Fatah. Uh, but that's uh, even on the ground here, on, from a same perspective, that's not what we are seeing because there are uh, like divisions inside Fatah itself uh, occurred when when the elections were announced, and internal conflicts uh, started, which was expected actually by um, people who were observing this and uh, just the general general public. Uh, it I think it wasn't surprising to many people that these uh, divides inside Fatah will uh, will happen. So uh, today we have the official Fatah uh, list, but then we have Nasser al Qudwa who's. Uh, um, who was member of Fatah, uh, of, uh, of its executive committee, and um, he's the nephew of uh, Leith Yasser Arafat. And what happened is that um, he wanted to run in a, in a, in a separate list from Fatah uh, to establish his own party in Fatah because they wanted to, uh, as they say, they wanted to um, 
save the unity of, of Fatah, they uh, disagreed with him, and especially Abu Mazen, he, he disagreed with him running outside of Fatah because that will uh, increase the fractions and the divide inside the party itself. So he went to establish his own list. And at the same time, uh, there was a challenge with uh, Marwan Barghouti, uh, who's a Palestinian leader from Fatah, and he's a prisoner. Um, so what happened is that he also wanted to uh, run for the presidential elections, which uh, which contradicts what Abu Mazen, uh, what Mahmoud Abbas the, um, declared when he said that he's going to run, he, he, he would be the only candidate for Fatah in the upcoming presidential uh, elections. And that was frustrating for so many uh, people on the ground, uh, of the Palestinian people of this from my, from my community, because we... Um, we think that it's uh, it's just in general frustrating that uh, Abu Mazen still insists to be the president of the of the Palestinian Authority. Uh, Marwan Barghouti announcing that he's going to run. Um, that uh, that also increased the the the, the divide between uh, inside Fatah leadership and inside the party itself. So that's why uh, that's why he um, uh, formed his own list. And then um, during the, the registering of the lists last minute, Marwan and uh, Nasser al-Qudwa, they decided to join uh, in, in one list now. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of the, that's the second, let's say, Fatah list in this, in this election. And the third one is, um, is the one by Dahlan, uh, who is the, the rival for uh, Mahmoud Abbas. And um, he was also a member of Fatah and um, he got fired from Fatah uh, because of disagreements with uh, with Abbas before with uh, with Abu Mazen. Um, so that's that's how we came to say that there are three lists for Fatah in in uh, running in this in this election. So which one are the Americans supporting? Because I know that uh, Dahlan was their man on the ground in Gaza. It was an expectation of George W. Bush and Condoleezza Rice that eventually Dahlan would be the ruler of Gaza after Israel left. Um, are they supporting Dahlan? Are they supporting Abu Mazen? Who are the Americans supporting here? I think the American position is like this. They are supporting Fatih in general and Fatih to be united, uh, to have a united leadership. And, you know, you can read that from... Um, actually, there was a statement by Biden administration, by the White House. Uh, the statement basically says that um, the U.S. has no... Um, the U.S. has no problem with the Palestinian Authority delaying the elections uh, because of the Jerusalem uh, uh, situation or because of the, the, the challenge on, in conducting the elections in, in East Jerusalem. And what that statement uh, feels like is that, you know, it's that the, the American administration is actually supporting, the American administration is concerned about Hamas winning the elections. Uh, I think they, yeah, they are not in favor of Hamas winning the elections. But in my opinion, I think at the same time they cannot, uh, they cannot deal with if, let's say, Hamas won these elections. But it will be different from two thousand six because this time, the elections is happening on the uh, uh, proportional representative proportional system, and there is no way that Hamas that will get the majority of the of the of the seats in the in the in the council. But uh, there is a concern that Hamas might win, and I don't think that the U.S. is, uh, is in favor of that. So the U.S. is still supporting um, Mahmoud Abbas. Um, I think, I personally think that the chances for uh, Mohammed Dahlan is uh, still weak. Uh, maybe there will be uh, 
uh, he will get more votes in Gaza than in, in the in the in the West Bank. And all of these parties, all of these different lists, they're all functioning within the two-state paradigm, correct? Meaning there's nobody running in these elections saying the two-state solution was a failure, we need to throw it in the garbage, we need to move forward and find something different. Most of them, I would say, they are running in the two-state solution paradigm. There are, there are some... Um, there are some lists now in parties who are saying that we should think out of the two-state solution. We should think we should work out of the two-state solution paradigm and, uh, and we should find a way to get out of the Oslo trap. Who are some of these parties? So they will be, that will be the left on the Palestinian side, like the PFLP, Jabhat uh, al-Shabiyya. Um, they, are, they, are, they have been always in the support of, uh, of one-state solution, not, not two states. Um, there are some of the independent uh, lists who are not uh, affiliated or part of or, or affiliated with the major uh, the major parties. Hamas, however, they uh, they are actually maybe some people will expect that Hamas is not in the favor of the two state solution. But Hamas in the last years shifted their uh, position and they became in fa- more in favor of the, of the two state solution. So that's you know that's how that's how it, uh, it looks like uh, so far. I mean the talk there is like I will say also that the discussion is like this. There are many uh, candidates and parties who are talking about getting out of Oslo uh, or getting out of the Oslo agreements and uh, the stuckness that Oslo put us in, but without totally abandoning the the, the two state solution paradigm because they are they are still talking about. The right of self-determination uh, for for uh, for our people, the our right to resist the occupation, and to establish uh, a state on within the 1967 borders or within the international uh, um, within the international uh, laws and the international uh, vision, because we feel that the suffering and the miseries we are we are under and we we saw in the in the last years is because of lack of independence and because of lack because we don't have have our own state. But uh, at the same time, they are saying that we cannot continue with the with the Oslo Accords as it as it is now, and because of the the the, the, the suckness that it left us uh, with. Now, who would you say? You know, you're a little bit familiar, you know, with the work that I do and uh, the solution that I work towards uh, with one democratic state that's uh, deeply Jewish and at the same time uh, fully inclusive of the non-Jews in our society, is there anyone participating in this Palestinian election that you think would be a potential partner for the work that I do? Listen, Yehuda, I think that, I truly think that all of the parties and all of the lists, at some point you could actually establish dialogue with, and at some point you could actually talk uh, about a different solution when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict than the two-state solution. I think that when our when our you know politicians in general when they are holding on to the, the two state solution is that because they don't see a practical alternative uh, they don't see that that happening even Abu Mazen himself I, I know from because of my work in uh, in, in, the, in the peace field I know that uh, for example the Confederation guys from uh, Land for All initiative they approached Abu Mazen and they suggested the, their idea on him and he didn't, he uh, wasn't against it. He actually, he said that he's in favor of it if it's uh, if it's represented on him officially. During Trump time, he also said that when uh, there was some talk about 
before Trump announced the deal of the century, there was some talk about a confederation and maybe a confederation with Jordan. He also said that we, we don't mind having a confederation solution, but it must include Israel to have a confederation with Israel. Uh, a one state solution is, is actually, um, you know, the vision that you, are, um, that you are implementing, you know, it's far away from Palestinian politicians. It's not, um, it's not something that uh, we see on the table. It's not something that's offered in, in, uh, in any way. It's not something that the international community had talked about or Israel had uh, talked about before. So that's that's what that's why I uh, believe that if there was if there was such a, an offer and there will be a serious dialogue about it, uh, then I think everyone would participate uh, in this in this uh, in this dialogue. But the situation now, you know, when you come to talk about this election and you know trying to uh, resist the occupation and trying to save the Palestinian cause. Uh, and save our situation. Most of candidates and lists don't think or don't support, in my opinion, and maybe I will be surprised myself to learn uh, a different story, but uh, I think that most, uh, most of the lists and most of the people are not in general in favor now of going into dialogue with Israelis because they feel and they see that dialogue so far had brought us nothing. And there is a more right-wing government in Israel, and there is more right-wing Knesset. That's how the Palestinian side see it. And there is also the Arab countries who are uh, driving toward this, or who are like uh, establishing these peace agreements with Israel, like the UAE and Sudan and and, and uh, Morocco. And uh, this is like a campaign of normalization that's happening now with the occupation, without addressing. Uh, the necessity of end the occupation first and make a peace agreement first because we before we can normalize ties with with uh, with Israel. So most of Palestinian officials now and parties and candidates will be talking about how to fight this normalization campaign and not to establish uh, more dialogue on the ground or a pointless dialogue in their opinion that will lead to more normalization, but it would not lead to the end of the occupation. I hope this. Uh, this was like a clear answer. It's a complex situation. I think that's very clear. And it's a little bit uh, frustrating because I think that until now, all of the dialogue that's taken place has been between Palestinian society and Israel's westernized ruling class. You know, those Israelis who just kind of want to have like an outpost of Western civilization in pre-67 borders. And what's important, in my opinion, is for more and more Palestinian activists and leaders to come into contact with the Jews who are living in the West Bank, who are living in Judea and Samaria, and are fully living our people's national story, and actually represent the dreams that drove our people back here after 2,000 years. Let me let you just clarify the situation. Let let us think about the independent parties, the the new lists, because I know many new people are participating in, the, in these elections this uh, this time. Just to uh, to clarify, we have in the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza about two million voters, uh, two million people who can vote in this in this upcoming elections. Forty four percent of them are between 18 years old and 30 years old, and they never participated in elections before. They never participated in elections. I mean, they never elected on the national, uh, on the national level like this. For the, for the independent lists, when they want to talk to the general, when they want to talk to the Palestinian people, uh, they don't have now the capacity to start, you know, when, 
we look at, again, we look at the, the Israeli actions and we look at the Israeli politicians and who is in the Israeli government and the voices there is not helping uh, to talk the language of peace, especially with what's happening in Jerusalem and with what's happening in the West Bank in general. And so what the independent parties think now in order to gain more popularity and to gain more support, they need to show a much stronger uh, national position or national stand. Because if you are running against Fatah uh, in these elections, uh, what's different, you know, what's the different that you can bring to the table? I mean, of course, there are the internal issues and there's the corruption uh, that we can talk about. But on the national level, Fatah had been always the, you know, the, uh, the owner of the Oslo project on our side. And they are the defenders of the Oslo project. And everyone says that what we got into now our terrible situation is because of the Oslo Accords. So it's clear that if you are going to run these elections, you kind of like you speak against, if you are running against Fatah, especially you are speaking against uh, against Oslo, the Oslo Accords. Even Fatah itself, when they are now, soon they will start their campaign. And it seems we are, we have already this uh, like uh, informal campaign that's happening. And even Fatah itself is, is trying to, to talk more about a confrontation with the occupation uh, to show itself as, as more like doing resistance rather than encouraging the normalization that's happening with the Arab countries and Israel. And they want to show that they are taking more national uh, stand like the other parties and even more than the other, the other, uh, the other parties. So it's, it's a difficult situation for, uh, for lists, for new lists and parties who might, uh, who want to suggest something different, who want to talk about something uh, different in regard to um, making an alternative plan or a solution uh, for Israel-Palestine. Look, I can definitely appreciate the fact that most of the Palestinian political factions have moved past Oslo. I think it's important for everybody to acknowledge that Oslo was a disaster, that the two-state paradigm uh, didn't work, can't work, and in my opinion, shouldn't work. Mm-hmm meaning that the assumptions underlying it were problematic about both peoples. And I think the way it was crafted was very exploitative in terms of the the situation that Palestinians were forced into. And it's no surprise that Palestinian society has been able to move past it a lot faster than Israeli society. But at the same time, uh, I think it is important that we begin to present real alternatives Like one of the things that actually concerns me right now is that even though I think it's very positive that a lot of people are moving away from the two-state paradigm, I see that this new idea, it's not so new, but this idea of confederation is bringing people back to a two-state way of thinking. Meaning confederation, even though it's being presented as something other than the two-state solution, is really still the two-state solution, Uh you know, with some new packaging. I'll tell you my personal opinion. I think that you are right. There, I feel as well there's a lack of vision. There's a lack of alternative, uh, practical alternative. If there is no two-state solution, so what, what there is and what we can work on. Right. And maybe that's our job. Maybe that it's people like us who need to start crafting a vision that can capture the hearts and minds of the public and on both sides. Because I think that even though it's very clear to most Israelis and most Palestinians that the two-state paradigm is a failure, there's also the question, well, then what are we going to do? So I am a member of a grassroots initiative, and I, I am a believer in, um, in the people work. I mean, people to people work and that people have responsibility. And I'll tell you something that 
I believe no matter what was presented on the table, you know, a one-state solution or a confederation or two-state solution, without having the trust that there is a partner on the other side, mm-hmm. no solution will be successful or no attempt to create a solution will be successful. Uh, I believe that part of the stuckness that we are in is that we don't trust you guys. We don't trust that there are partners on your side. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we collectively, uh, on my side, that's what people feel. The feeling is mutual, um, by the way. You should know. Yeah, I totally, I totally understand. I mean, I uh, from my experience at Roots, I learned that and I saw that with my own eyes. I mean, uh, as long as the feeling among the general public is that there is no partner on the other side, we cannot actually start to talk about um, alternative, successful uh, solutions. Right, and that is partially because the expectations are incorrect. I think the expectations that both societies have for the other is based more on a fantasy of who the other is and less on the reality of how the other experiences. Exactly, 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 yeah. So I guess uh, the work that we're engaged in, you know, people-to-people work, actually changing uh, the relationship dynamics on a small scale is maybe the best we can do at the moment. But uh, it's just unfortunately been very slow and that can be very frustrating sometimes. I also believe we can affect you know, the political level, we can also uh, affect uh, the people in the decision making. I mean, it needs more efforts maybe. And I think that the Palestinian elections, uh, despite the talk now, I mean, before the elections itself about, about, uh, about the solution, about alternatives, about peace, but after the elections, that's what I'm also interested in. You know, the, uh, what is the next, you know, this upcoming Palestinian Legislative Council, what role it will play in, in all of this? You know, and how could we, uh, when, I, when I heard about the elections for the first time, I felt that this is an opportunity for us, people like me on, on the Palestinian side who are participating in this, in this work, to have our representatives, to have someone represent our voice in, in a national council, in a, in, a, in a legislative council. And I'm not very satisfied. I mean, I'm, I didn't, you know, I would, I hope that more people from the peace camp on the Palestinian side participate in these, in these elections. But I also understand um, some of the technical difficulties for that. As I, as I said before, I mentioned I have friends from, from almost all the parties and all the lists, people from uh, Fatah and Hamas and also from the independent uh, lists. And I'm always in discussion with them. Um, and I mentioned to some of them about my work. And uh, I hope that we have a space to represent ourselves in the next legislative, legislative council. But in, in general, to have a functioning legislative council it's a necessity to reform, even not to say, even if we are still working within the, the two states paradigm, but I think for us as, as Palestinian people internally, it's very important to have, uh, to have this uh, council and to, to have it working for the, the benefits of, um, of, of the citizens, of the people. And do you feel that it is? Do you feel that until now it has been working for the benefit of the people? Well, another challenge, another level of the challenge is also because many of these uh, of the members of the legislative council got arrested and um, will be arrested by by the by the Israeli army, and that's not a surprise. Uh, not only Hamas members, not only Hamas members, Fatah members are being arrested as well. Uh, it depends. Like now, nowadays, we are talking about uh, how the elections can be conducted in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, uh, because for the Palestinian side, this is not a this is not a discussion. Uh, to, to not have it in Jerusalem, 
everyone wants to have the elections in East Jerusalem. But now the, uh, the way how the Israeli authority is dealing with these efforts, they are suppressing any attempt for uh, making the elections in East Jerusalem. And they are now not just only arresting Hamas members, but also Fatah members or any other parties, even independent ones who are trying to uh, conduct a conference or uh, make any action uh, connected to the elections. Right, because it's perceived as an encroachment on Israeli sovereignty in Jerusalem. Yeah, exactly. And the truth is, for Jews like me, the, I have the same attitude when it comes to Bethlehem or Hebron or Janine. Like, meaning there should mm-hmm. be one state in this land. Quite frankly, I'm anyway very skeptical when it comes to representative democracy. I think in most cases, when we vote for a politician or a, or a list of politicians, you know, they usually have much more interest in what corporations who, who give the money and the lobbyists who give the money uh, have to say than what their voters have to say. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately the only way forward here will be a participatory democracy. I mean, for me, it's not just about Israeli-Palestinian peace. I think that the entire mechanism, all the structures of our state anyway, need to be re-examined and recreated because right now we were basically functioning. Israel is basically like the British mandate, but with Jewish decorations on top. Because even though we made the British leave and we declared the state, we never went through the trouble of actually figuring out what a Jewish state is supposed to look like. So we ended up with like a very European style kind of nation state with Jewish decorations. And that's also, by the way, why there's so much fear on the Israeli side of a Palestinian demographic majority, because there's a concern if you have a European style nation state, then if you lose your demographic majority, you lose your state or you lose the character of your state. And I don't think that's the way things necessarily need to be. I think that we can actually have a state that's deeply Jewish to the point that the more of a Jewish education a person has, the more they see the Jewishness being expressed in the policies and institutions of the state, Yet at the same time, people who are not Jews or even Jews with no Jewish education barely notice that it's a Jewish state and just experience it as a democratic state where they have full equality. And I think that's something that we can work towards. But as you said, there's a lack of trust. And right now, I think because the power dynamics favor Israel, Israel must make the first moves towards building trust. I find your perspective to be unique, honestly, and I uh, think about it deeply and I think about it a lot and I, I think I can understand where also it comes from and I, maybe I can find myself agreeing with you um, at the end, but what I want to say about our side, about the Palestinian side, is that the Palestinian Authority, uh, which, is, which is a reality, it exists, we have to deal with it, it ends up more in that past 16 years like an authoritarian rule uh, and it it was kind of shifting toward uh, dictatorship. And Hamas rule in Gaza is not, is not actually, in my opinion, in my point of view as, as, as a Palestinian living in the West Bank, I don't think that Hamas rule in Gaza after 14 years is, is a legitimate rule and it's not, uh, it's not a democratic system. It's, uh, it's, more, it's more like a dictatorship actually. And any attempt for me, that's maybe a, a minimalist thinking, but any attempt to, to fix that and to reform that is a step in the in the positive direction or the, the right direction. So to have uh, to have a democratic um, uh, elections now, um, that's that's better than continuing with the division and continuing with, with the status quo. That's that's not uh, that's not helping us in in general. No, I understand. When you're in the situation you're in, even fake democracy is better than no democracy. 
I hope that with this also, with this uh, change that's happening, there will be uh, chances that we use. As I, as I, as I told you before, I, I think that this is an opportunity for people like me, ones who, who are participating in, in projects with Israelis to build partnership and to build the trust between our people, to raise our voices and to find, uh, to find a more um, legitimate framework or let's say more acceptable, acceptable framework that we can send our message through and we can, uh, we can work with. Because I know from my work that there are Palestinian ministers in the government support my work and support what we do, but they can't go uh, publicly and, and talk about that because of the sensitivity of the work that, uh, that, that we do. Right. So that's, that's why I'm also, I mean, I think it's part of the process to outreach the society uh, right. of the grassroots initiative is also to have members in this um, in this in this council or to have support of members from this from this council that's what i'm looking for now mm -hmm. right it's also necessary to show fruits from the work that's being done meaning that people on both sides need to see that these grassroots initiatives are actually leading to some kind of material change mm -hmm. And it's not just kumbaya, it's not just sitting around and okay, now I have a Palestinian friend or now you have a Jewish friend, but something is changing as a result of the work we're doing together. Yeah, and I, and I also remember that you asked me before about, about parties and lists that can approve or can, um, can be closed somehow um, or in an ideological way to the, to, the, uh, to the vision that you are presenting. Right. Or maybe to the, to the work that I, I also do in general, when, when, I, when I described my project or I described uh, the project I'm in as trying to bring people with, uh, you know, who are fundamentally or the ones who are called the, 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 the extremists to sit together and, and establish dialogue between them. And I talked before about, for example, the Islamic Jihad, which is an important and big Palestinian faction. They are not uh, going to participate in the in the parliamentarian elections and the PA elections in general. They are going to participate in August in the PLO elections, which is also it will be a different story because the PLO elections uh, is elections within the National Council of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and those elections are supposed to uh, reform the PLO and give more ability for Palestinians worldwide to be represented by the PLO. So that's, that's, for example, the, the Islamic Jihad vision of how getting out of Oslo is by focusing on the PLO and not on the Palestinian Authority and the, the, the Legislative Council of the Palestinian Authority. And I say that I can imagine and, um, you know, I can think of, you know, maybe when I say the Islamic Jihad, people think of, of terrorists and think of, uh, you know, uh, Islamists, extreme groups. Sure. But. I think those are the people who we can sit with and have dialogue and have and reach into maybe some sort of understanding uh, about this land and the future of this land, the relationship between the national movements, between Palestine and, uh, and, and, and Israel. I, I know what I'm suggesting here might sound, uh, you know, uh, not realistic to some people or even crazy, but I, I believe in, in dialogue with, uh, with everyone. And uh, like even with people from Hamas and uh, the Islamic Jihad, not just from the not just from the ones who supported Oslo or supported the two-state solution. And I'll tell you that all of my experiences in doing this kind of work over the last 12 years make me suspect that you're correct. So I, I think you're onto something, and I think uh, certainly in the course of the work that I do. Uh, it's very important to include some of the most quote-unquote radical voices 
who were marginalized from the peace process, who were excluded from the peace process, uh, who were not given a voice, but who are most deeply living their people's aspirations to the point that uh, some are even willing to take up arms and fight for what they believe to be important to their people. And I think those, those are exactly the parties that need to be included in the dialogue moving forward. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it sounds hard, I know, for many people. And it sounds, you know, how could you have dialogue? How could you talk to someone who's totally against you? And you think they're working for your destruction. And this is what they are, what, this is what they are saying. But if you are true about creating understanding and peace between the two sides, you have to be ready to talk to all uh, factions and all voices on the other side. Especially those who are fastest to actually fight, kill, and die for what they believe to be important to their people. Yeah. Okay. Well, Noor Awad, thank you so much for joining me. This was very enlightening and I hope uh, very helpful to our listeners in terms of understanding what these upcoming Palestinian Authority elections are all about. Can you give uh, the listeners a link where they can see more of your work? Yeah, I, like people can easily find me uh, on, on social media by my name, Noor Awad, on, on Instagram, on, on Facebook, uh, on social media in general. And I can share my email address with you and you can share it with everyone you, whom you all uh, want. Well, thanks again. This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you are listening to the Next Stage Podcast. You can check out the show notes for this episode at visionmag.org backslash the next stage 5-1.